if you want to raise money, the first place to do is go to people that you know, that trust you, that you've done really well for them. And he actually made some money for some of these uh, clients of his. And he went to them and, you know, literally within two weeks of me giving him that number, he said, hey, we, we got the money. When are you quitting your job? Hi, welcome to the Founders with Pet podcast, where I interview amazing entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds about their journeys, successes, failures, and lessons along the way. On this episode today, we have the CTO and co-founder of WealthBlock, an old friend, Deji Jimo from Chicago. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Pex. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about WealthBlock AI. Yeah, so WealthBlock is a comprehensive end-to-end capital raising platform. We pretty much target three kind of demographics of capital raisers. You have the traditional broker dealers that may have a variety of reps that are borrowing their license to go out and market deals. You have the you know VCs, venture capital, and PE firms uh, that are raising capital often for their own funds, and they may have a series of funds that they're raising for. And then on the third front, which is um, probably one of the fastest growing areas, is in the crowdfunding space. So because of the Jobs Act, the Reg CF regulation allowed individual portal operators to spin up a platform and raise money from non-accredited investors. What's really exciting about that is just recently the SEC updated their regulations around this, and they said. Before you can only raise 1.07 million, now you can raise up to 5 million and you can also raise unlimited from accredited investors in addition to non-accredited. So we're seeing a lot of action in there where some of the more traditional uh, players in the uh, capital raising space like broker dealers are starting to get into the crowdfunding space as well. Got it. What sort of traction do you have? Yeah, so things have been going really well. So to date right now we have 47 independent platforms. So uh, to give you a little bit of background, we are a white label technology. So we're a SaaS B2B platform. So what you get when you sign up for the WealthBlock platform is everything from the front end that allows you to onboard your investors, track them in the CRM, in addition to present a data room where you can house all of your offering uh, documents and then actually push them through the entire investment processing. So everything from doing the know your customer AML check to an accreditation check to even connecting their bank account and uh, sending funds directly to an integrated escrow provider. We connect, uh, we integrate with North Capital, we integrate with Fund America, we integrate with Assure to provide this kind of holistic investment experience. With that being said, everyone gets their own platform. So it's not you sign up for WealthBlock and your deals are hosted under the WealthBlock brand. You actually get your own technology listed on your domain. We give you this really intuitive, easy to use builder where you can change the colors, change the logos, put up your deals, import investors. So that's why I mean when we say it's a white label platform. And today we have 47 of those and they spread across those uh, categories that I mentioned. Uh, a lot of broker dealers, a lot of crowdfunding portals and where we're making tremendous inroads recently is in the venture capital and PE space. And we've had a lot of focus on building out their exact little workflows, things like capital call experience and everything they need so that they can move all of their processes that a lot of them are using um, several different tools. They may be using a, a data room like Intralinks. They may be using, or maybe they're just using Box or Dropbox and they're combining this with a CRM and HubSpot. And what they found with our technology is that these three or four or five disparate tools they're using, they can consolidate that all on one technology. And now everything's talking to each other. All the data and analytics are working together. The engine smart where CRM's telling the data room what's important and vice versa. And it's, uh, you know, 
just a much more streamlined experience. And the investors and the LPs don't necessarily know it's wealth block because it's white labeled. So they think it's the PE firms or the, yeah. So it's, it's almost the Shopify of uh, capital raising platform. Yeah. that's, a, that's a great <laughs> Just to <laughs> oversimplify it. Yeah. yeah. So Deji, what uh, amazing success, uh, 47 white label clients with 75 million total raised. Tell us a bit about your background, how, how you got, first of all, where you're from, how you got into engineering probably. And, uh, and then, you know, finally how you came up with this idea and what made you pursue it. Yeah. Originally form, I was, I was born in Nigeria, Nigerian descent, came over here when I was uh, one years old. So spent most of my childhood in Boston, Massachusetts, actually go Patriots and go Tom Brady. I, I still root for him, even though he's over on the Bucks. Yeah. He's my guy. But I, I, in about high school, I actually ended up moving to uh, my whole family moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and I ended up staying there for college. I went to um, you know fa- fantastic university there, Washington University, pursued a computer science degree there. I was just always just been a programmer at heart, engineer, problem solving. And I was one of those guys when I went to college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> My friends were like, I have no clue what to do. I'm like, I'm going to be a programmer, software developer. That's what I'm going to do. And, and so I pursued that you know, career. I came out of college did various web development jobs. My, my first job out of college, I got thrown in the fire. I was working for a, a hundred year old uh, company here in Chicago suburbs that was you know, very, I, I say, weren't very savvy on technology, but they knew that they needed to have an e-commerce site to sell their goods, which were food service equipment. And they spun one up. They had a super small engineering team. It was only about three people and we were doing $150 million in e-commerce sales. Wow. Very quickly, just coming out of college, I had to learn everything from development, backend, database administration, even web server administration. After that, you know, I, I wanted to kind of broaden my experience. As I said, it was an old school company, so they weren't very innovative. So I wanted to get more experience in new technologies and sought out the startups in Chicago that were doing innovative things. I went to work at a company called Blue Eye, which is uh, where we first met, actually, uh, back, uh, obviously, as you recall. And that was a fa- fantastic experience. Small startup but fast growing on the cutting edge of everything from mobile development, iOS, Android. And then also that was around the time when there was this big push for social media integration. Facebook was just launching their advertising platform. We actually were what was called a preferred marketing, uh, Facebook preferred marketing developer. So we got to go out there, we got to get kind of sneak peeks in their APIs and we actually build our own, built our own advertising platform. And along the way, while I was doing this and getting more and more ex- deeper experience in technology, I was taking a personal interest in finance. I was starting to look at a stock market, thinking about investing. I knew that my only kind of uh, my greatest asset in this space to try to be successful was programming. I started building algorithms to scrape the market. I was scraping uh, Nasdaq's page, Stock Investor Pro, so many different sites. And, and over time, I collected about financial statements, balance sheets, income statements, cash flow statements, stock price, short interest on about 5,000 companies going back about 15 years and started building my own fundamental back tester. And along while I was doing that, I was starting to going to financial conferences, talking to people about what I was doing, making sure I, I wasn't crazy because I didn't really have any experience or background in the space. And I, and I met a gentleman uh, by the name of Trillium Jiang, who was the first quant ever hired at the National Futures Association, actually. And we hit it off. We had the exact same mentality when it came to investing. We were both um, huge fans of old school Warren Buffett, Ben Graham. <laughs> methods. We'd read books from the 1930s, like um, the intelligent investor, security analysis. 
And we just started trading ideas back and forth for five, five, uh, four or five years. And in, let's see, 2017 was it? Or 2018, February 2018. We hadn't talked for about six months. He called me out of the blue and was like, hey, I got this idea for potentially building or streamlining the private investment space. So our initial thought was, how can we bring more liquidity? How can we uh, potentially use blockchain technology to uh, build a secondary market around the private investment space? And we had a cup of coffee. And that night, I literally just started building out the platform. We hadn't even signed any agreement. We didn't have a company name or anything. And within a week, I showed him a prototype. And he's like, right, yeah, we, we got to do this. Let's go. And we just kept building. And that was the start of WealthBlock, really. So it really started in February of 2018, but it wasn't in so April 1st was when we officially quit our jobs and we said we're going 100% full steam at this. Yeah. But th this wasn't the, at that point, was that the capital raising platform that it was? Or is it more of a looking, judging at the name, right? You got block for maybe like blockchain or AI, like the, the two trendy things. What, what was that? Was the, what was the original idea? And then when did you pivot? Yeah, no, that that's a great question. So the original idea on day one, and, and you know why we were both like so excited, we were, we were both blockchain enthusiasts, and we saw um, a lot of chatter about people talking about what's called security tokens. So the ability to tokenize any kind of private asset and house it on blockchain, you know, with your private key, it could prove that you own whether it's a share of something or you own entirely an asset on blockchain. And we thought that as a very efficient mechanism to provide secondary trading around private assets and even uh, fractional shares of private assets. And something a lot of people are doing now, you know, you have a stock like Amazon that's trading at over $3,000 and being able for people to slice that up and trade at $5 or $10 or $15. So we thought blockchain was going to be a great mechanism for that. So that's really, that's what we came out the gate with. That was our original idea. And very quickly, as we went out to the market and we tried to sell this product, we realized that most of the existing people in the private space weren't quite ready to embrace blockchain technology. They said, hey, sounds cool. You know, we see Bitcoin is booming, but there, there's so many uh, regulatory uncertainties. That, that was one of the big things we heard over and over. People weren't sure what the SEC was going to do with utility tokens, what was actually considered a security token. You started to see a lot of crackdowns and ICOs and you know people were really scared and they, they really didn't want to hear blockchain. And But what we found when we demoed the software people for people, they said, you guys are pretty good at building technology. This looks like fantastic. <laughs> it's super usable. It's streamlined. It's beautiful. You know, maybe they're there's an opportunity to just kind of put blockchain on the side, but continue down the path of how can you make the what's currently pretty inefficient private capital space a lot more efficient. So we went from saying, hey, this is a blockchain enabled platform to this is a platform that's focused on digitizing private capital markets. So that's when we really made that pivot. And the, and the other big pivot we made was that we also came out of the gates wanting to be a branded platform ourselves. So we wanted to be the wealth block marketplace and we were gonna build technology, we were gonna source deals, and we were gonna go out to market and find investors. And we quickly found that we were fighting way too many battles in, you know, we didn't have experience with sourcing deals. So it didn't make sense that we were trying to do that. And we didn't have a ton of experience marketing to investors, but what we knew was building great technology. So we said, let's focus on that and then let's give it to the people who can uh, fulfill the other two pieces of the puzzle. And that's where the white label came in because people who had great deal flow and people who are great marketers to investors said, hey, I can use this technology, but I want to use it under my brand, under my domain. And we said, that's fantastic. Let's do that. And that's yes. where we 
the white label really came about. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a space for both, right? Sometimes you want to own the brand, but at, at other points, like like Shopify, you can be huge and run other people's million dollar, hundred million dollar sure. e-commerce brands. And nobody doesn't, people don't even have to know that it's right under Shopify. So I think sure. that's, yeah. But I think it's, you can just view source and stuff. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Were there any, we, have you raised any capital for this yet? Yeah, first. So we, we came out the gates. Um, what was interesting is that, that it might not have been the first coffee meeting I had with my co-founder, Troy. Maybe the second one, he said, I had a little bit of background with startups and working at Blue Eye and, and even doing some other things on the side myself. And he said, and he had, and so he said, how much is it going to take to get off the ground to, to run a business like this? And I kind of just off the cuff threw a number out at him. I said, if we had a half a million dollars, I, I think we'd be good for a, a few years. That'd be great runway. And he looked at me and was like, oh man, half a million dollars. And what was interesting is that Shiltrillium was managing a hedge fund at that time. And so he got some good advice from one of our you know, advisors now. He said, hey, if you want to raise money, the first place to do is go to people that you know, that trust you, that you've done really well for them. And he actually made some money for some of these uh, Ketron clients of his. And he went to them and, you know, literally within two weeks of me giving him that number, he said, Hey, we, we got the money. When are you quitting your job? <laughs> and, wow. and I was like, Oh, wow. And I ended up quitting two, two months later, finished the projects that I was working on. But so we raised that half a million right off the bat. And then we were fortunate from, then we did a little bit more kind of friends and family outreach and we, and we raised another 200K. So we got off the ground with 700,000 and- um, Make it sound so easy. Like some, <laughs> some people struggle for years and you're like, ah, right off the bat. Hey, what I'll say is we've learned that it is not easy at all. So we raised that in a year, about a year later, we said, all right, we got, we want to hire more employees. We want to grow faster. Let's raise more money. And and we went to do a, 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 a more official raise where we did massive outreach to VCs, any introductions people could give us. And, and it was a hard time going. And the question of people weren't sure how big the space was. Obviously, there's a lot of ancillary technologies in the space. So there's there's, comp there's wide amount of competition. And we had very little traction. It was the typical startup having lots of conversations, getting the door shut on us door after door. Say, hey, come back when you, know, when you have a paying customer. All right, you got a paying customer. Come back when you have 10 of them. Come back when you've, you've really proved out your product market fit. And, and we just kept grinding and grinding. And, and we got to the point actually where we were profitable. So we were able to pay ourselves at least a, a minimal salary, but afford all our marketing spend, all our server costs and everything just purely on subscription uh, revenue. We just kept grinding, kept growing. And, and now this year we rebooted our raise because we're getting to the point where we're hitting capacity limits on uh, in terms of resources. We're working around the clock. As we said, we have 47 platforms we're supporting and we want to hire more people. And we have so much to build. There's just so many great ideas just emanating from our customers. So we went back to the well to try to raise. And now we have a much better story. We have the growth and we have the clients, we have revenue. And we're actually profitable. We're in the middle of another raise right now. We're raising uh, $1.5 million. We've closed about half of it already. We have a lead VC and we're actually hiring two, two more employees. Are they your customer as well? What? Are they your customer as well? They are. They are. Our lead VC is a customer. And, and, and that's really what we've seen. When we go out and talk to VCs, if, if they don't feel the pain point or, or they don't immediately see the need for the product, it's harder to sell to them because obviously this right. is a product for VC. So it's hard to get a VC that's not using the product to invest in the product. But once we started 
onboarding VCs, which really just happened in the last seven to eight months. This is when the first VC clients came. And now we have close to, I'd say about a dozen of them in the VCP space. And, and they are seeing tremendous value. We, one of them that right, right before this, that we're working on onboarding, he's got, he's using, I won't say his name, but he's using five different technologies right now. Yeah to do. He's using Box. He's using, you know, Airtable. He's uh, <laughs> using some really legacy database from a long time ago that is really messy. And he's got contacts in four different places and he's using another email tool and we're consolidating everything in our platform. And he's just blown away that everything he wants to do is integrated and it's connected. And once we're, once we've shined that light, our existing customers have been like, oh, wow, not only do I want to be a customer, I see tremendous growth. I want to invest in this. In this round right now where we've closed about half of it, we have the lead VC and then there's actually another VC client of ours who has contributed to the round as well. Yeah, yeah. Re- remind me after the call to introduce you to, to connect you with a few <laughs> in my network. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I imagine this is the better money to get from VCs is them getting as a customer. So you don't even have to give up equity. <laughs> it's just, you're making money directly from them. You know, investment from customers, because then it's more strategic, right? These are people who are using the platform every single day. So they're providing us with the best intel on our product roadmap on, and, and where we need to focus. So for instance, we had a, a really great conversation with one of our VC clients um, a few days ago about the entire capital call process and how our platform you know, is mostly on day one was built for completing a single raise. And they said, hey, well, a lot of times we go to market, it's a continuous fund. You know, We may be raising $50 million and we may say, hey, we want a minimum of $50,000 commitment, but we don't need the, all the money right up front. So we want to call 10% of the money every month. And so they're like, hey, if you can build in that exact flow that streamlines that. They're like, we don't see anyone doing that well. And you guys will clean up the VC space, anyone who's you know doing a capital call flow. And so we're working directly with them to build that in as we speak. And within about three or four weeks, it's going to be live. And it's just a, another check mark in, in, in terms of you know a process that's really cumbersome that we have digitized, streamlined, and made extremely simple using our technology. Yeah. This interview didn't quite go as planned. I sometimes envision lots of stories. Oh, this was so easy. Everything, there's traction, blah, blah, blah. I'm killing it. And were there any points in time, you've been doing this for three years now, any times that you were struggling? Yeah, no, absolutely. In the beginning, when we were looking at that pivot point, before when we were going out as the WealthBlock brand. And so we, as we said, we started, hey, we're going to do blockchain technology and secondary markets. And then we pivoted to the private capital raising platform first, but as the WealthBlock brand. And it was a huge struggle because people are like, we have no clue who, we, who you are. We don't know where you're getting these deals from. Our very first deal we had on there was a, um, it was a holiday in, it was a real estate deal to build out a holiday in hotel in Wisconsin. And it's sourced from a very credible developer here in, in Chicago who's done a lot of deals, but it was on our platform. No one had new, no clue who we were. They were like, what due diligence did you do on it? And, and, and we just didn't get a lot of traction. And then even when we came out with the white label model, it wasn't like we came out with it and we had people paying us right off the bat. We had to give the first few, I think it was, the first five clients paid us, it was $5,000 one-time fee for the whole year. So we said, give us that up upfront one-time fee. You can use it for the time, for the year, which is a mere fraction of what we charge right now. And it was because we literally had to pretty much give the platform away for free. And we had to get 
other people using it and get by it and, and leverage other people using it to say, because first thing that happens when you go to someone, you say, hey, use our right label technology. They say, who's using it? And the first day we said, no one's using it. They're like, we're, we're not going to be the first. They don't want to be the first. Exactly. <laughs> so it was really that you know, our first clients weren't, they weren't, you know, people who were really like established in the space. They were, they were pretty much like startups who, who wanted to um, do this, take on this capital raising endeavor. One of them was specifically playing in the cannabis space. Their operators had been in the space for a while. They were very knowledgeable, but th this was their first um, time really trying to build out an investment platform in the space. And they were thinking about building it themselves. And then they met us and we were like, give us $5,000. You can have it, use it. And they really were instrumental in helping us build out so many features over the course of that first year. Another one of our first clients was, was one of our advisors, literally our very first advisor who has a, a startup consultancy firm. And he said, hey, you know, I could potentially use this platform to try to raise, not just advise startups, but I can help try to raise capital for them. And he's still a client now and he started, they just got their investment banking license. So they've expanded their, expanded their platform. But it was people like that were the only people we could find to use it on day one. But we took their feedback and we leveraged the fact that they were using it to slowly inch by inch get uh, more clients. I'll tell you, even rambling a little bit on this topic, but one more thing that, that, um, I think it's important is prior to COVID hitting last March, we had tremendous struggles breaking into the VC space because the feedback we got every time we talked to a VC and said, you should use our platform was, I, I don't do kind of blind email marketing. The way I don't present my deals on an online platform. I go to conferences. I shake people's hands. I'm on the phone. I, I do things very, this is a very relationship-based industry. And me throwing a $10 million deal or 20 or 50 million on a platform and saying, hey, investors, come click a bunch of buttons and invest. That's not going to work. That's not how this works. And once COVID hit, it was like this. You hear people say that, I forget who said the quote, I don't want to take credit for it, but there was one person who said, we had about 10 years of technology acceleration in the course of one year is what yeah. happened in so we saw this trend. We said, this is going to happen. Everyone is going to digitize this process. Everyone is going to adopt this. And COVID just kicked that into high gear. And all of a sudden, when people couldn't have these personal relationships, they said, oh my God, I need a technology platform because I, I need something more than just emailing some people. Because when I get out of a personal relationship is that when I'm talking to people, I can, I can feel whether they're interested. I can sense it. And I know like how much I should time I should put into them, how much I should follow up. And we said, hey, that's exactly what we're trying to do in our platform. We wrap everything that happens on a platform when an investor comes on, we start collecting tons of data. We know exactly you know, which pages of your deck they're viewing, which documents they looked at. Maybe you invited them to look at offer A, but you have this marketplace of 10 offers and they actually spent more time looking at offer C and D. So now when you call them, you know exactly what to talk to them about. And they were like, oh my goodness, like these insights are actually even deeper than I was getting when I was having face-to-face -face conversations. And so then they started and they said, I have no choice. Let me try it out. And then, and they've just seen just tremendous efficiency improvements. I think one of our first VC clients that we brought on, they said that usually when they do a deal, it could be a $10 million deal. It usually takes a couple months and about 50 phone calls to close that deal. The first deal they did using our platform, it took four days and 11 phone calls. So right off the bat, tremendous efficiency growth. And now we're able to tell that story over and over. So it's been tough, but now it's getting better. And, and we obviously COVID is absolutely terrible, but you know, there's businesses that have benefited and it's, it's 
Yeah, I feel a little bad saying it, but we have benefited tremendously from COVID. I, I think in any technology first firm, right? And to to your story, I was a very relationship driven salesperson, right? I in the Bay Area, any given week, I'd probably drive to a few customers during the week, right, up and down the Bay. And when COVID first hit, we're stuck at home. I, I questioned whether, well, aside, everybody's got reaction to freezing business for a while. But then when people realize, well, business, we still need to do projects. We still need to get stuff done. Projects resumed. I, I questioned whether not having that face-to-face relationship would hurt the business. But actually, in a way, it hasn't. And people, like, they just, we just have to keep moving. This business has to keep going and, and money has to flow. So it hasn't, I've not met any customer since, you know, March last year, February last year, and, and business has been fine. So I, I think there's, I think people have this belief, long held belief that I think COVID just dismantled. And I've also had heard a similar saying that, that COVID did what in, in one year, what CIOs and CTOs <laughs> have not been able to do in years. Like they, yeah. they just accelerated digital transformation yeah. because people had no choice. It's just either that or fall off the cliff. Yeah. So amazing story. Cool. And uh, if you're a VC firm, PE firm, absolutely check this out. Yeah. Very cool. Be- before this, have you tried any, because this is obviously something that worked, right? As an entrepreneur, were there other startup ideas prior to finding this that before WealthBlock that kind of bombed or didn't work or yeah, what have you? Because it's been a few, few years since we talked. Sure. I, so I, I'm someone who's always programming. Th- throughout every company that I've worked for, when I was working at Blue, after that, when I was working, I worked at apartments.com. I was always building something, always trying things. And, and I have a lot of friends, you know, great friends that I went from to school with who've you know, done amazing things in their careers who've come up with startup ideas and said, hey, Deji's the tech guy. We got to call him. He'll help us build this tech project. So there's certainly been other things that, that I've worked on. Some I could share. We, we had something called uh, Ask the Walls, which was basically a project to revolutionize. I shouldn't say revolutionize, but make a, a much more user-friendly and appealing Craigslist. So, you know, using Craigslist every day, the thought, you know, me and a, well, a buddy had the, had the idea and it came to me and it was, you know, Craigslist just has the poorest, most terrible user experience <laughs> and no one ever wants to, and they don't have any, you know, motivation whatsoever to change it. And to their credit, it's been a fantastic service and they have minimized their costs by not <laughs> doing anything <laughs> to it. And it, and it just works. ride it for as long as it Yeah, and, and it's functional. So we tried that and it didn't get really get much traction, but we didn't really, you know, we didn't really have a, a big marketing push behind it or a, a great plan. But I would say the, the closest thing, you know, that now with my experience now with WealthBlock that I believe could have been a success was I mentioned I was working on uh, stock trading kind of algorithms for myself when I first got into finance. And I actually, along the way, when I built that backtesting software to backtest the equity market, a buddy of mine said, hey, you should try to commercialize this. This is a pretty powerful tool. So we actually took some steps to do it. We built out a landing page. We gave it a name, registered the LLC. It was called Back Live. And we actually even had a, a handful of uh, subscribers. And what's interesting, the, the claim to fame it was actually written about in Barron's. So if you actually go to Barron's and you look for, uh, which is you know, a huge financial uh, publication, and you look at Back Live, you can actually see an article on, on the software that I built. 
And it ultimately it faded in the jumble of everything else I was doing. Wealthblock actually, the beginning of Wealthblock actually overlapped with while I was still a little bit working on uh, Back Live. And we, we just didn't have a strategy to really identify the ideal customer for the software and identify where to find them. So that was something that uh, Wealthblock took us a while and once we did and we figured out how to target them with the right message, where to find them, we right now at WealthBlock, we're able to pump in probably about 2,000 leads into our CRM every day because we've built out these algorithms to scrape LinkedIn, scrape other things, love it. to grab emails and stuff. And, we, and I didn't have any of those tools with, with Back Live. And when I look back now, I'm like, oh my goodness. And we did everything. And I have to credit my co-founder Trillion because he, he heads up all of that, the, the acquiring emails and leads. And he's just a, a master at using a wide suite of automation tools to try to yeah. capture these emails. I was like, I had Trillium working on this for Back Live. I don't even know if we can <laughs> right now. Well, I, I sense another podcast interview focused on Trillium and just how he acquires customers. And I yeah. sense maybe that's like a side product as well, right? Well, and interesting enough, we use our own platform now to do it. So we literally have, we white labeled our own platform to be our sales platform because our platform has tools in it to build email drip campaigns and things like that. So literally instead of, you know, our it's an investment platform, right? So typically people build an offer deal page, but what we used our platform to build is a sales landing page where, you know, mm. the deck is a sales deck talking about our platform. The video gallery is videos about our platform. And when we outreach to people, we invite them to our white labeled sales platform, our white label of our own technology for our sales yeah. platform so that we can see what they're doing. And then we set up drip campaigns in our platform to continuously target them. So it's, it, we're definitely eating our own cooking tremendously and it's working well, so. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so much of that is the product has to be good, but the key to success with any startups or any business is like, yeah, can you find, uh, is there a good strategy to find what is your ideal customer? Again, at our company, at our agency, we talk about that all the time. It's like, who, who's our ideal customer? Who are we serving? How do we, and is there a methodical, systematic way to get more of those? Because yeah. that's the only way to make a sustainable business. And that's, I think, part of my entrepreneurial journey was like, like you, I've, I've always been building. I think if for as long as we've known each other, we, we were always building something and I wasn't always a good salesperson or marketer. I didn't know how to acquire customers. That was always the Achilles heel is I couldn't, I didn't know how to scale that <laughs> beyond my network. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, kudos to you to having a, a co-founder who's that's the, if you're a builder, you need to find a co-founder or, or develop those skills. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, as we wrap up, are they, uh, yeah, I think we have some offers for people who want to, if they want to try out, if they're, you're an LP, PE firm or VC firm, you, you have an offer to try out the platform. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So right now we're offering uh 50% off of our, you know, list price for the subscription for the white label product. If pay up front, you sign for a six month subscription, you'll get 50% off and make sure to use your uh, special coupon code, which is PEC. P <laughs> there you go. So when you sign up for the platform, there's a little field where we say the source, how'd you hear about us? So make sure you put PEC in there I and mean, you'll get uh 50% off um, for, on a six month subscription for our white label product. 
Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you get some leads from there. Yeah. It, so part, part of this is advertising for your firm, showcasing the journey. The other part is I want to tell these stories of amazing entrepreneurs, minorities, people of color, people outside the Bay Area, people who there's so much exciting stuff going on, you know, after spending about a decade in the, the Bay Area, not that it wasn't good for me, but I, I really come to appreciate kind of like the entrepreneur next door and startups next door and more there's startups going on everywhere and there's not like one model to do it. And you've managed to raise money quite quickly outside of the Bay Area when I often also hear stories that it's sometimes hard to do that. And you've, you know, you've dispelled that or disproven that. So it's great to hear that it can be done. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I love the focus of this podcast. So thank you. I'm looking forward to, to see what, what you have on next. Thank appreciate you so it. Thanks for having me, being on the show. All right. Thanks, Peck. Yeah. Have a wonderful weekend. And uh, obviously we'll talk soon. So always, always great to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Founders with Peck. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel. If you leave us a review, I'll be sure to shout it out. And if you have any questions, you can tweet me on Twitter. 